This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. All right, welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and joining me today is Dan Helfrich. He's the vice president of Z-Band Technologies. Dan, thank you so much for joining me, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's uh, going to be fun. Absolutely. I agree. So uh, Z-Band uh, helps solve video distribution challenges. They do it quickly and easily. And today we're going to be talking about uh, just the choices that people have when deciding on TV services. And as Dan and I were talking just before we started recording, a lot of times people get to the end of a project and realize, okay, yeah, now let's talk about TV. So we're going to have that conversation now and help people just be a little bit more educated on uh, what is going on in the industry and some of the different options that there are. So, uh, Dan, just to start off, let's talk about some of the big trends that you're seeing right now across the industry when it comes to choosing TV services. We're moving everything to and everything over IT platforms. So we want to put everything on the network. And television is falling into that same vein. So what we're seeing is a lot more IPTV, which brings with it some of its own problems. And one of the biggest problems with IP television is when you're looking at doing it on a corporate network or in a hospitality situation or healthcare, maybe you have potentially hundreds to thousands of users. Some of our largest um, clients have over 2000 users and I can't then create a unicast connection for each of those. It would just totally crush my network backbone, my incoming pipe from the service provider. So you see everything going out as multicast uh, from one source out to multiple users. And that becomes problematic because then how do you protect that content, right? HBO wants to protect Game of Thrones. ESPN wants to protect all their live sports. We're recording this uh, just after the first weekend of March Madness. So um, (laughs) obviously CBS wants to make sure that that content stays secure as well and that people aren't recording and, you know, putting stuff up on Periscope, illegal streams, that kind of stuff. Um, So one of the big trends that everything pushing to IT is leading is digital rights management and DRM. And when we're putting together systems, that's always one of the first conversations that we're having with content providers is, how are you going to protect my content? Make sure that it stays on the premise that we're intending to have it on and doesn't get out to the cloud, into the internet, or onto some company's private WAN and get shared across um, the entire country. Um, And then the other thing that we're seeing from a technology standpoint is a lot of these system-on-chip televisions where we're eliminating boxes behind TVs or we're not even putting TVs in, we're putting in monitors and doing direct decoding. And these things are, in theory, fantastic because you can do digital signage, you can do welcome messaging, you can do your TV viewing, and it's all running on one single platform. Uh, But there are some drawbacks, I think we'll get into that a little bit later. But as we're moving everything over to the internet, we're definitely seeing a lot of conversations about the the digital rights management and then a lot more conversations, especially again in that healthcare hospitality industry about doing everything in a smart TV or, or system on chip platform. That's really interesting. And we kind of dove headfirst into a conversation about IPTV there and just everything being over IP. Why is that such a popular choice nowadays? Why is so much moving uh, in that direction? And what impact does that have moving forward? Well, so we, one of our big Fortune 500 customers uh, tells us that 
what they're trying to do as an organization is put everything together as a managed service. So moving everything over to the IT network allows television to become a managed service. And the other thing that we see is the, the number of people who truly understand uh, the traditional way of doing video, an RF system, right? Pulling coax, trunk and tap, um, going through and designing amps, tap splitters, that type of thing. Those people aren't around anymore. You can't go to college and get a degree in RF engineering or many places. It's much more common to, to get a degree in network engineering. So you're seeing as we converge everything onto the network that 10 years ago when we started presenting um, this solution, we'd present this solution to a facilities director or maybe a, a video services person. And, and now most of the time I'm having conversations and the IT director is in the room because television has been put under their purview. So mm -hmm. that really is one of the things that's driving this interest in IPTV is that the person that we're talking to a lot of the times now is an IT director and has a much better standing of how data behaves once it's on a network than they do how RF frequencies are modulated and, and transmitted through throughout an infrastructure. So just who we're speaking to and who's managing these services now is helping to drive the trend. And you mentioned earlier uh, just kind of the difference between multicast and unicast. Uh, can you kind of uh, explain those differences and why they're important and why people need to be educated on the differences there as they consider what uh, solution is right for them? Sure. Um, so without going into the depths of layer two and layer three network protocols, 99% um, of the data that we do as a society is unicast. It is a single connection from our device, think of your phone, um, and you are streaming something from YouTube. Well, what you're actually doing is your phone has its MAC address, IP address, and it's communicating with whatever, whether it's a Wi-Fi access point or, or whether on LTE data, it's communicating and looking to a single server somewhere that's in the YouTube architecture and playing back a file. Um, this unicast connection allows you to do play, pause, rewind, and actually manipulate the video. It's a, anything that we think of as OTT services, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, YouTube TV, that type of stuff. Uh, those are all unicast connections. And they're great because, again, you have that control over everything. You can play, pause, rewind. You get to define your user experience. Um, multicast is one source device, most commonly an encoder. And that encoder, rather than being a... a connecting to a single received device is simply broadcasting its content to anyone on the network that can receive it. Uh, the advantage of that is the switches themselves can replicate those packets and it's significantly less bandwidth on a corporate network. Um, I think we were talking about it a little bit ago, but think of 2000 users and they want to watch um, when, when Michael Jackson died was a good example. Um, they want to watch the coverage of Michael Jackson passing away. And 2,000 individual users going out to 2,000 individual feeds, assuming you know, one megabit per second, and you have to multiply that one megabit per second pipe times 2,000 to get your total bandwidth consumption on the network in a unicast system. Whereas in a multicast system, I have one box that's set to CNN, and I'm broadcasting that out across my corporate network. And then mm -hmm. I only have one megabit per second as my entire consumption on 
the network backbone, so significantly more friendly from a, a bandwidth standpoint. And we see it a lot in these enterprise installations. What you lose in multicast and the drawback of that is the um, the ability to manipulate the video because it's again it's one source that's broadcasting to potentially thousands of end users. Well, you can't have individual end users manipulating that video. It's much more like traditional RF television where it's broadcasting and when it's gone, it's gone. And if you missed some packets or you got up from your desk, whatever happened in that two minutes is not recoverable to the end user. So that's again at a, at a high level and more looking at the customer interface or the user interface. Those are the, what you see as the difference between multicast and unicast. So when you have these conversations with customers, with clients, uh, how do you walk through just the various uh, options that exist and assess the uh, assess their particular need and what solution works best for them? So uh, what questions are you asking? Let's start there. What questions are you asking customers to get to the heart of what their particular needs are? Sure. So the first question, and it, it seems overly simple, is what are you trying to do with your video? And, and that often requires some expansion. If you're healthcare and your priority is getting quality video to the patient rooms on TVs and nothing else, I don't need to record it. I don't need a VOD server. I just want the patients in the ER to be able to watch TV while they're awaiting services. That's a, a simple thing. We'll sit down and with like large media companies and they want to be able to record content. They want to be able to put it on a server and play it back. They may want to be able to add metadata, uh, maybe speaking with an IT director who wants the sports group to get their sports channels and then the news group to get their news channels and everyone else to get a handful of channels. And then maybe the executives can get all the channels because they're in there on the weekends and they want to be able to see everything. So that first conversation always revolves around how big is video in what you're trying to accomplish as an organization? Like a K through 12 is a, a perfect example of this. A lot of the time, the big concern there is I want to be able to push out educational media to teachers' desktops and then do some morning announcements and those types of things. So it's a pretty straightforward conversation. And we've had these initial calls. Normally, they last about 15, 20 minutes so we can start to drill down how they want to use their video, who their service providers are, if they're doing any internally generated content, like their own announcements and digital signage, and start to, to understand their requirements. Um, two, I think the longest requirements meeting that I've been in in the last 10 years was about three hours. And that one was a, a marathon session, um, but it, it was a very big project and it was a, a massive move for the company. So they spent a lot of time doing their homework. So in addition to IPTV, what are some of the other solutions that are available to people? Let's say that that's maybe not necessarily the right choice. What other solutions or options are out there that need to be considered so that people have a full picture of what the current marketplace looks like? Sure. So basic history of video, right, is that everything, when we were talking about this in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, was run over coax. Uh, the external infrastructure was coax, the internal infrastructure was coax, and still most of the marketplace today is coax because it's the, the tried and true solution that everyone used for 40 years. Um, you're starting to see, like we talked about at the beginning of the, the session, you're starting to see the transition away from that because we're trying to put everything on the 
the internet. Um, so there's coax, and we've already discussed IPTV, and kind of the in-between that bridges the two is there's a couple of systems out on the market that are RF over category cabling. And those RF over category cabling systems are allowing you to leverage that category infrastructure, single mode fiber on the backbone, category cable out to the television, but they're keeping the video as RF. So there's none of the potential drawbacks of the IPTV system where you're talking about network consumption using bandwidth for video, that type of stuff. Um, and so that is a, a segment of the marketplace that has existed for 10 or 15 years and kind of just is consistently used. We've seen uh, colleges use it. We've seen healthcare, corporate. Um, and the other thing when we're talking about video over category cabling that's not necessarily RF or IP is now you're starting to see some of the HD base T and uh, AV over category cable systems. And essentially what those technologies are doing is extending a source, whether it's a digital signage player, cable TV set-top box, they're a one-to-one -one connection that in HD based T's case is not on the network, it's using category cabling, but is not a network based transmission protocol to extend a single source out to one receive destination. So, you know, there's kind of to try and sum that up. The traditional way of doing it and the way that it was done basically since we started distributing video was with coax. And now, as we've transitioned onto category cabling, category cabling has opened up the possibilities for how you could do it. So you can use your category cable and keep the video as RF. You can use the category cable for an HD base T system, or you can use the category cable for an IPTV system. And we have um, that's really been the interesting part um, in going out and, and speaking to customers. Is most everybody when they think, oh, you're going to use the category cable. Uh, you're going to make this IP, and that's not always necessarily uh, the case. So let's dive a little bit more into what system on chip means, and, and specifically when it comes to TV systems. What are some of the advantages of going that direction, and maybe what are some of the hesitancies for fully implementing something like this? Sure. So system on chip, uh, the big thing to look at with the system on chip system is you are now doing everything on the the TV interface. Um, there's no RF tuner potentially, um, and you're seeing a lot of it in healthcare and hospitality. So I'll just dive into a, a hospitality use case. It's a project that we're working on right now where they are putting in a series of smart TVs that are system on chip. And now you, you walk into your hotel room, you turn on the TV, and rather than just defaulting to channel three or defaulting to the TV guide channel that you know, scrolls through and shows you what's available to watch at the hotel at that given point in time, what you instead get is a customized welcome message, or you could potentially dive into some marketing um, that the facility wants to push out that the hotel wants you to see for their on-premise restaurants, any sort of on-premise activities that they may have available. And then you can also, with some of the more advanced system on chip platforms, do ordering of dining, um, check out of your room, uh, get billing information, that type of stuff. And it's all running off of a software that's loaded onto these system on chip platforms. So when we see it deployed, it can be very user-friendly in, in the correct environment. Um, one of the hesitancies that we've seen or one of the, the struggles with adoption is the chipsets are designed to be multi-use. Um, so they're not necessarily having a single video 
codec for playing back of multicast or any sort of IPTV. Um, I've personally had some experiences in some of the hotels that I stay at where the video will pause and buffer a lot because uh, it's just not it's not a robust system um, that's always designed to be playing back video 24/7 like we would expect in you know healthcare environment that right. type of stuff. Um, so that, that can be problematic. The, the other thing, and this is maybe more of my personal concern, but as I've kind of brought it up with people, when we talk about in the industry, they have um, the same fears is that they're selling into hospitality and healthcare with these system on chip platforms. And as anyone who's worked in the industry knows hospitality and, and healthcare buy a television, and then they keep a television for 10, 15 20 years. I mean, I still have customers or we still have customers as Z-Band that have analog CRT four by three televisions and have not had the, the time or the, uh, the finances to upgrade those CRT TVs. And my personal concern with, with those type of customers specifically that can't afford to refresh televisions every five years is just obsolete uh, operating systems. I mean, everyone in in the world understands that if you have an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy S6 or whatever your, your Android te um, telephone of choice is, that if you don't upgrade that OS for five years, you lose functionality, your apps stop working, you, you stop having the ability to um, even call people depending on how, how far out of date you are. And even the chipset after a period of years will just stop being able to be updated because they're not doing any software development that's geared towards the chips that you still have in your phone. And I, I take that problem, which you see, right? No one runs around with an iPhone four anymore and updates it to the latest software version um, and apply it to televisions. And I wonder, are we going to have uh, just a boatload of customers in five, seven, eight, ten 10 years that are stuck on an obsoleted version of Android can't upgrade the OS because their chipsets old and are needing to refresh potentially a, a thousand televisions throughout a, a healthcare facility or a hotel. And, and are they budgeting for that? Like, is anyone thinking about this while they're putting these, these systems in and, and from the, from the conversation that we were having earlier, my gut instinct on that is no, that this isn't something that's being thought about at that deep of a level. I mean, we have customers like like we talked about earlier that will build an entire emergency room and then remember at the end when they're going to hang the TVs that they didn't account for television infrastructure. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that that customer is not thinking about what they're going to be doing with that TV 10 years down the road. Um, and so that's my concern with it is, is are we going to this jump of putting everything in system on chip or internet of things and are we truly thinking about what that's going to be to constantly keep those systems refreshed and updated for the end user that sounds like really good advice uh, from someone who's who's seen a lot in the industry so we've covered uh, a number of the different technologies that exist and solutions um, and even uh, hopefully provided a little bit of a warning to people just to think through these things beforehand what are maybe like two or three questions that you would have everyone listening to this who uh, has is heeding your advice and thinking okay I need to start thinking about this now but what are maybe two or three questions that people need to ask themselves uh, so that they come in and have uh, informed conversations when they are ready to to address uh, the different video distribution uh, challenges that they face. 
Sure. So North comes back to that first conversation with customers. We always want to tell the customer um, to understand or ask the customer to understand how important video is to their organization because that's going to drive the level of funding that you can allocate to it. That's going to drive the amount of time that you can potentially spend on the uh, video system. That's that's a big one. Then the other thing uh, that I would encourage all customers to ask is, do you have the ability to manage the video infrastructure or is it set it and forget it? And this, we didn't really get into this, but this is to me an important point because if you're putting in an IPTV system, you're putting the system on your network, you're then going to spend some time managing this. You're going to spend some time setting up the networking. You're going to spend some time doing the QoS. Uh, if your network goes down, your TV systems go down and that can potentially be a bug for um, some of the folks that, that we work with. So who's managing this and what amount of time do they have to allocate to managing the video system is, is also an important question that we encourage our clients to ask. Um, hmm. And that one, like that one ties into what we were talking about earlier where it used to be that there was a person and that's what they did, they managed the TV system. We're seeing fewer and fewer of those people. So this is becoming a trickier question for our customers where they, they may all kind of look around and you see the finger pointing thing where well, it's, it's IT's job or it's facilities job or it's security's job. And that one, that one's an important question to me is who's going to manage this after it gets implemented. The, the last question that we, that we ask is, is this growing in importance in your organization? Are you doing more with video and I feel like just kind of as a society or, or maybe uh, as, as companies, every now and then we get too short-sighted. Like, well, I'm going to be doing this for six months and then this project is designed and it's done and we're out and I don't have to worry about it. But when you're putting in a, a television system, just because of what we were talking about earlier, you're putting in something that's probably going to be in 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, you're pulling cables specifically for a TV system. So that cable's most likely going to be in there for a lot of the life of the building is video becoming more important to what it is that you're doing? And if yes, you want a future proof, right? You want to put it on your um, data infrastructure, your telecom infrastructure. You want to potentially set it up so that you can transition to doing more with the video recording content, metadata, that kind of stuff. So that in five years or seven years, when you've made that transition to video being fully important for your organization, you don't have to go back and forklift everything that you did when you built the building or renovated the building seven years ago. And again, it all kind of ties back to the, my general impression when I speak to customers is that video is not thought about with that critical of a lens through most of our customer base. You know, they spend a lot of time on security, a lot of time on HVAC, a lot of time on the infrastructure of the building, and, and rightfully so. I'm not knocking mm -hmm. that in any way, shape, or form. And then video just becomes the kind of, well, we'll throw that in there because we know we need to have a TV system. And then it's five years later, seven years later. And it, it's again, it's counterintuitive because it's not an expensive part. It's not necessarily something that requires um, the amount of dedicated effort that you need for HVAC and that kind of stuff. But for a lot of your clients, healthcare, hospitality, even some Fortune 500, the video system is one of the few pieces of actual user interface where you get to communicate with your customers and get to define their experience in some way, shape, or form. And after the, the building's up, 
you know, if you're a healthcare facility, you have the architecture, you have the nursing staff, and you the doctors in the TV system, and the TV system is huge in healthcare. So to not give it thought is not um, probably not a wise decision for for those particular organizations. Um, so I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded here, but um, in general, what we we do want them to do is if you look 10 years into the future, how are you going to be using video then? And you should think about that now while you're in the middle of this project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, it feels to me just with IPTV and, and things like that kind of becoming bigger and bigger parts of what we do nowadays and, and what the industry looks like, it feels like the industry has really uh, been in a, in a major transition, I suppose, over the last few years. Do you think that where we are now is still part of a transition? In other words, we would have further to go and, and things are going to continue to shift and change and, and innovations are going to continue happening? Or do you see the technologies that we have as maybe more permanent solutions that will continue to be improved upon? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, my opinion on that is that we're still somewhere in the middle of the transition. And mm -hmm. the, just based on the experience of dealing with different service providers, and they haven't really found a, a standardized way to deal with IPTV. Every time we put in an IPTV system, we have to go through a special approval process. That special approval process is paperwork. Um, that paperwork is man hours and, and time that organizations are spending doing this stuff. And that to me tells me that we're still in the middle of figuring this out. When we want to put in an IPTV system and everyone just smiles and shakes hands because that's the accepted way of doing things, that'll be more the end of the transition. But right now, whether it's going to be increased encryption technologies or something that will happen on the service provider end that they'll start providing some of these services direct to customers. I'm not real sure what the next step is, um, and I don't think anybody else is either, which is kind of why we are where we are right now, where this is a, an industry that's in the middle of transition and there's a lot of case-by-case -case basis approvals for these systems when they're going in. Well, Dan Helfrich at Z-Band Technologies, we know that whatever the next step is, that you guys are going to be on top of it as industry leaders. And so we appreciate you joining me here on the podcast today, and uh, we'll look forward to what you're doing next. Oh, thanks, Tyler. I had a blast.